Let's go to Colossians chapter 4. You're going to open the precious word of God again. Amen. Amen. These are not the words of men. Right. These are in truth the words of God. Amen. If you're a Christian congregation. The Thessalonians were, so that's where we have that verse. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For when we preached to you, you didn't receive it as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the very, very words of God. Amen. So we have them here for us this morning. I hope that I can have your attention for a while, a reasonable while, to look at three things that the Lord wants to remind us of this morning. Let me read to you Colossians 4, 2 through 6. This is the word of God, and thus saith the Lord, continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance, mm -hmm. to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Amen. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Amen. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. Amen. I depend on it. I love the book of Colossians, and I hope you haven't forgot some of the good things that we've tasted and seen here. Do you remember that precious sentence over there in Colossians 1 and verse 9? Yes. That long sentence that was so full of good things? Do you remember the great mystery of godliness that is in Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory Amen. of chapter 1? Do you remember the full assurance to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ? In Colossians chapter 2, do you remember that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Amen. Do you remember, and ye are complete in him? I hate our memories. As I say those words, don't they bring back sermons that you rejoiced in, but that you can barely remember now, except once I say the words, it does bring back a trigger that we are very complete in him? Those precious words that let no man therefore judge you in respect of all the Old Testament ordinances of a ceremonial nature were free from them. Amen. Then chapter 3, that if we're risen with Christ, we ought to live like it. And so then we come to chapter 4, as the apostle gives us things that we ought to do to make our calling and election sure. He's given us six practical relationships of life and told us how we ought to live them as Christians. Verse 18 spoke to wives, verse 19 to husbands, verse 20 to children, 21 to fathers, 22 to servants, and then the first verse of this chapter to masters. And so there were six relationships, and now he, he gets us all with three things that I want you to remember. Prayer, wisdom, speech. Can we leave this morning with those three things? Amen. You already know them. I already know them. But measured in the light of God's word and through the holiness of Christ, this week it appeared I didn't know them. Nor did it appear that 
you knew them. So we get together on the Lord's Day to be reminded right. of these duties so that we'll be better in them this coming week. Amen. This is what he's ordained for us to come together and to be reminded from his word of things that we ought to be doing in our lives. That's right. I should pray more. Can I speak for all of us? Amen. I should pray more. I should be wiser and walk in greater wisdom toward all men, right. redeeming the time better than I do. I should guard my tongue better so that I always, always, always speak with grace. Right. Well, that's all we got to do this morning. I feel whipped. But you know what? Jesus spoke to a rich, a rich young ruler one time and said, how hardly is it for a rich man to get into heaven? It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. The disciples were blown away by such hyperbole, an exaggeration that's obvious to make the point. The disciples were blown away and said, well, who then can be saved? With a statement like that, they thought maybe nobody can be saved. And Jesus said, well, with men, those things are possible. But with God, all things are possible. Right, right. And I look at that. I believe that. I believe it when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And I believe that I can pray more, pray better, that I can walk in wisdom, that I can redeem the time, and I can speak better. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Then let's trust the Lord Jesus Christ by the strength of his spirit to enable us. And I'm just going to give you a few reminders Lord helping me to give you a few, because there's many. I can't preach a subject on all those points. I mean, I can't preach a whole sermon on each one of those points, but let's review them just briefly and be reminded, which is what the purpose of an epistle was for. Right. Do you think Paul had taught them about prayer when he was with them? Yeah. Do you think he had taught them about wisdom? Yeah. Speech? Of course he had. But they need to be reminded just like we do. So here we are, Lord's Day morning, May 25th, 2003, Let's serve the Lord better this next week by listening for a few minutes. Continue in prayer. You all know that it's hard to continue in prayer, don't you? You should know that. When it says continue in prayer, it doesn't mean we pray all the time. It means that we never give up on our prayer life. Right. You can't pray all the time, especially those that are one trackers or two trackers. You'd have car accidents and you wouldn't get your job done. That's not what it means when it says in the Bible, pray without ceasing. It means don't stop praying. Keep at this holy, godly exercise of prayer. And so the, the first thing we want to grasp is continue in it. Let's not stop praying. In fact, since we all know the truth about ourselves, let's increase our prayer lives. Are you, do you agree this morning? Amen. Continue in prayer. The temptation of the flesh is to give up on prayer. The flesh hates praying. Do you know why? The flesh knows by the influence of the devil that prayer is your lifeline. Prayer is your power source. Prayer is where you get strength from, and it's the last thing you'll think of in a day. You can think of all the things you need to do, but if somebody were to ask you, what are all, what are, what are all the things you need to do that you seem overwhelmed by, prayer probably wouldn't be in the list. Isn't that sick? And it ought to be at the top. We ought to be able to just rub, scratch things off the bottom and say, I don't care if I don't even get to that, as long as I get to prayer. 
But isn't it, aren't we perverse? Do you get through a day sometimes and I haven't even prayed today? You know what I'm talking about? And it's horrible. We have got to make it an important part of our lives and stay with it. That's what Jesus taught us, and that's what Paul is reminding us of right here. Men that walk with God pray a lot. Men that are born again pray a lot. Men that have the Spirit of God in them pray a lot. They look like Jesus, they look like the apostles, and they look like the great men of God who prayed a lot. How many times a day did David pray? According to Psalm 55 and verse 17. Three times a day. Morning, evening, and at noon. Will I pray unto thee. Who was the other man in the Bible that prayed three times a day? Daniel. And was w Amen, young men. Yes. Okay. Daniel prayed three times a day. Did his friends know that? Yep. Oh, yeah. Did his enemies know that? Mm -hmm. Yes, they did. He was a man of prayer, and we call him that, don't we? Yep. Daniel was a man of prayer, and we know that about him. A man that's walking with God prays. If we're going to walk with God, we need to pray more. We need to pray more. Continue in prayer. I love it when, the, when Saul of Tarsus was converted. On the road to Damascus, breathe, it says, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church of God. I mean, that man was full of fury and hate against the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord met him on the road to Damascus. Right. There were they in great fear where there was no fear. Nobody else could see anything, but Paul certainly was worried about who he had met. And when God appeared to Ananias in a dream and said, Saul of Tarsus is in town, Ananias said, yes, I know. We've all got extra deadbolts on our doors because he's in town. I'm giving the sense of the word of God. I, I hope you'll, you'll allow it. If you go read it, you'll understand what I'm saying. Right, Ananias said, yes, we know, but isn't he here to throw us all in prison? And the Lord Jesus Christ said to Ananias, why don't you go down to a certain house and take a peek in there and see what you see. Behold, he prayeth. <laughs> now that's the change that a man makes. That's the change that the Lord makes in a man's life. Behold, he prayeth. You know, when you're carnally minded and you're worried about the things of this life, do you know what happened, goes first? Your prayer life. Do you want a quick, do you know how to take the temperature of your spirituality, of your spiritually mindedness? How much do you pray? Let's pray, brethren. Amen. Or we're slipping away back into the flesh and into carnal Christianity. Let's pray. The reminder's here because God knows the weakness of our flesh that we're going to let these things slide. Prayer is a very spiritual exercise, and men the flesh don't do it. Look at Luke chapter 18. Let's look at just a couple of reminders to stay with it. And that's why we get answers to prayer by not giving up. The Lord will wait on answering prayer to see if we're going to stay with him. How many minutes did Jacob have to wrestle with the Lord before he got his request? All night long. Was it easy praying? Or was he wrestling with the Lord? Did the wrestling match get easier or harder as the Lord put his thigh and hip out of joint? Did he get his answer? Amen. What was his attitude about prayer? Let me hear it. I will not let you go until you bless me. Is that our, is that our spirit in prayer? Isn't that a wonder? Amen. A man can defeat God in prayer. 
because God makes himself vulnerable through prayer for us to prevail over him and get what we need from him. Jacob had his name, well, his, he wasn't called. Jacob had his name changed to Israel because his new name meant as a prince, you have power with God. Amen. You've prevailed in a wrestling match. I know I've told you some of these things before, but remember you've got children here, and remember, your memories are like a child's. Right. So is mine. And every month that I get older, I do not like the trend. He had his name changed because he had power with God. I used to hear that story as a child. My parents told me, I, I can remember the picture. Brother, can you remember the picture? Jacob wrestling with that winged creature. Yeah, we all know better now. He was wrestling with God, and, the, and God didn't have wings. He was a man. But anyway, Jacob was wrestling, and I used to, why did God have to ask him to let him go? Why didn't God just pin him as a child? You know, just that confusion in my mind of how could a man wrestle with God? I knew how powerful God was. I mean, in order to get to Jacob, you've already passed the flood. How could, God, how could Jacob resist the Lord all night long? How could the Lord say, please let me go because morning's coming? And then as you get older and you read Genesis 32 deeper, and you see that God has exposed himself to us as his heavenly father. And because of the transaction of Jesus Christ, he is open to us coming to him where he cannot get away from us because of the claim we have on him as his dear children. Right. Jesus would say, when your children ask something of you, you all know the obligation that it puts you under and you are going to get them that thing. If ye, being evil, are under such an obligation to your children, how much more, not how little more, how much more am I under obligation to those that ask me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that power? Amen. Let's wrestle all, let's wrestle with the Lord. And let's wrestle all night if we need to and let's not give up. When we don't get our answer, does that mean we quit praying? No. No, we just say, I'm not going to let you go until you give me what I need. And I'm not talking about a new car. I'm talking about real blessings. He'll take, you know what, if you'll pray for the real blessings, you'll get the other things. Do I have an example for that in the Bible? Well, thank you, young man. When the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Solomon prayed for the, for the real blessings of life. And the Lord said, because you prayed for the right things, I'll throw in the rest. That's, that's the Lord. Let's seek first his kingdom and all the other things he'll add to us. Amen. Luke 18, look at this parable. He's, verse 1, Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end. Here's the purpose of the parable before we even get there. I wish the Lord did this every time. But he does it this time, and I'm thankful. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's continuing in prayer, not fainting, not giving up, not getting discouraged because you're not getting your answer. And here's the parable he gave, the story that proves this point shows this point, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, 
I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. That's the parable. Right. Now, brethren, I want to ask you a question. If, if I just gave you verses 2 through 5, would you know what it was talking about? Without verses 1, 6, and 7? Nope. You wouldn't know what it was talking about. That's why it's a parable. It's a dark saying. But Jesus opened this one up enough for us that we can see its light very clearly. Jesus said in verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. Listen to how that judge reasoned and get excited. The judge said, I don't fear God, I don't care about men, and I certainly don't care about this widow. But if I don't stop her, she's going to drive me crazy. So I'm going to go ahead and avenge her. And Jesus said, listen to how the unjust judge reasoned. Verse 7, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Remember, the unjust judge didn't avenge her for a while, but he did in the end. And Jesus said, For a while I may bear with my elect who are crying unto me day and night, but eventually he will avenge them. And you ought to be excited by the reasoning of the judge, because the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to see in that how he responds to those who keep wrestling with him, who those who will continue in prayer. Don't give up, brethren. Let's keep praying. In fact, since you both know it, since both you and I know it, let's pray more mm -hmm. and All keep right. up more prayer. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. While you're going there, do you remember the other parable he gave about continuing in prayer? A man's in bed with his children. They had smaller homes back then. A man was in bed with his children. A neighbor comes to his door and says, I have company that's just arrived. I need some bread. Can you give me some bread? The man's comfortable in bed with his children. He's not, he doesn't want to get up. He doesn't care that his neighbor's there. He's comfortable and cozy. I mean, back in those days, there wasn't central HVAC systems. And once you got bed warm, you didn't want to get out of it. That, listen, go read it. It's Luke 11, 5 through 10. Jesus said, that man is not going to get out of bed just because his neighbor's there needing some bread. But because the neighbor stays at the door and continues to bang on it, he will eventually get out of bed to shut him up so that he can go back to sleep. That is Luke 11, 5 through 10. And that was an answer to how long they ought to pray. That is an answer to the disciples' question, Jesus, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. That's what Jesus told them. Just keep knocking. And don't we have the verse, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find knock what kind of knocking oh yeah that's going to get somebody isn't it you knock once the lord doesn't answer so you give up remember luke 11 we didn't turn there but i just reminded you of it because i've taught it to you before you're going to quit you're going to quit keep knocking Amen. he'll come to the door and he'll give you better than bread colossians 4 2 continue in prayer and a watch in the same. Now this tells us what kind of praying we're talking about in Colossians 4.2. This isn't praying for the new car in the driveway. This is praying for our souls. We are in a war, brethren. We are in a war against the lust of the flesh, the devil, and the world. They outnumber us and can overpower us instantly without the grace of God and the protective power of the Spirit and the angels of God. 
and we are to be watching like a vigilant sentry on a military post or at a military camp without closing our eyes or quitting, but being vigilant about the warfare that we're in and thinking about it and praying for our souls. We need to be praying for wisdom, the Bible tells us to. We need to be praying for, of, to avoid temptation, Jesus taught us to. We should be praying for the Lord to deliver us from evil, the Lord told us to. We need to be praying for those things that pertain to our souls, that the Lord will keep our souls, that we will grow in grace, that we will stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Those are the prayer requests we ought to pray. He'll add in the rest if we're putting those things first. And even if he doesn't, do you know what? You'll be happier with a heart full of wisdom and the joy of the Holy Ghost without those things than you would be without the joy of the Holy Ghost with those things. So Amen. I'm telling you how to pray. Right. This is watch. When, it's, when it gives us that little word watch, can you think of a few men that were told by our Savior, watch? Yeah, disciples. The disciples. What, what circumstances? The Garden of Gethsemane. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. Do we have any temptations in our lives? Oh, yeah. Legion. So what, what's the cure? Pray. Continue in prayer and watch in the same. Let's be vigilant about our prayer lives, about our souls. That the Lord will keep us. He'll keep us from temptation. He'll protect us. He'll put a hedge about us. He'll give us strength and grace to walk a holy life and to live wisely before the world. Let's pray that way. The disciples didn't. They fell asleep three times. The most important night of their lives, and they were not there, and temptation took them by storm. Verse two of Colossians four, continue in prayer. This is God telling us how to live a virtuous life here in this world as his children. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Don't you pray without thanksgiving. You make sure every time you turn things over to the Lord and ask Him that you thank Him for things. When you pray to the Lord and ask Him to raise your conviction for holiness, thank Him for the conviction you have. Because if it wasn't for His grace, you'd have none. When you pray to be delivered from temptations, thank Him for all the temptations He has delivered you from. Whatever you pray for, thank Him for all the goodness He's already shown and already buried you with. There are many good things that we can all be thankful for. Amen. He wants us to be thankful. Oh, fathers, when a child comes and asks you for something, I've already spoken about the, the sense of obligation it puts on you to want to do something for that child. But when that child comes and thanks you for some of the things you've done for them before, then asks you, I know I'm giving away family secrets here. Does that really get you? Okay, the Lord's the same way. When we go to the Lord, he wants us to be thankful. He, right. And he made the comparison between him as our heavenly father and us as earthly fathers. I didn't make that up. I don't like sermon illustrations that I can't prove from the Bible. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. Got to go on. Verse 3. With all praying also for us. In all the praying you've done in verse 2, make sure you add us in there, the ministry. He doesn't just say himself, but he refers to Timothy, who was also included in the opening of this epistle. With all, praying also for us. Right. So after you've prayed for yourself, pray for God's ministers, Amen. here and everywhere. Right. Paul wasn't there, nor was Timothy there. Let's pray for all of God's ministers that are sincere, that God will make them great for the purpose of 
the saints that are under their ministries. That's why. With all praying also for us, and here's what he wants, minister, the prayer request for ministers, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Amen. Utterance is the opportunity to speak. That God would give us chances to speak. You know, when you're young men, you dread the opportunity to speak. In fact, you don't like the word opportunity. <laughs> oh, the first speech I ever took it first speech I made at Bob Jones University many years ago as a freshman in speech class I was sweating great drops and it wasn't of blood or anything like that but I was in pain and you know what I had to do for the first speech since this is our first class we're gonna go around the room and I'd like each of you to stand tell us your name what state you're from and what your major is oh. <laughs> I mean it was unbearable God knows and my parents know I'm a shy person. It is only by the grace of God and a lot of effort. And Miss Velma Eubank at Bob Jones University who helped me. A retired Army Sergeant, Miss Velma. All of Miss Velma. But she helped, and I'm thankful for it. It's an opportunity to speak, although you don't think so sometimes. But ministers, ministers that have the fire in their bones like Paul, did you know what Paul said? What did he say if he stopped preaching? Woe is me if he stopped preaching. He had a fire in him because he had a holy commission from God that he ought to be preaching. And he said, woe is me if I stop. So a minister like Paul is asking for God to open doors of opportunity. He'd preach twice a day, three times a day, five times a day, if God would give him that many opportunities. And so that's what he's praying. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Were men praying like that for Paul? When he got to Rome, a prisoner of the Roman Empire, instead of putting him in the hole, where did they put him? They let him rent a house? You're kidding me. Rome? They crucified thieves. They let Paul have his own rented house? And anybody could come and go? Amen. For two whole years? Right. Does the Bible say that? Yep. You know why it says that? Because there were people praying for the Apostle Paul, according to Colossians 4.3. Right. Was that a door of utterance? Amen. What a door of utterance. And then the servants that came to check on him from Caesar's household, what happened to those guys? They got converted so that in Philippians 4.22, Paul said, they of Caesar's household greet you. That's what Paul was doing in Rome. Wherever Paul went, he wanted an opportunity to preach. My favorite is Acts chapter 13, when he went into the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, several hundred miles from home, unknown, and he sat down with Barnabas in a big congregation. And when they were done with the regular part of their service, the leaders of the synagogue said, men and brethren, we see that you're visitors this morning. Do you have any word of exhortation for the people? You have the pulpit. Paul gets a great big smile on his face. And he comes forward and he opens to them the scriptures and taught them the scriptures like they had never heard in their lives. Because he told them the mystery 
that has been hid from the foundation of the world, that the salvation of Jew and Gentile is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not the law of Moses. How did he get that door of utterance? How could he go into an assembly where people feared God and they pinpointed him and said, would you like to say something to the crowd? Do you know why? Because there were people praying for the Apostle Paul. Amen. And that's why we have a verse like this. And I want you to pray for me, Jim, and every other man of God that in sincerity wants to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, that they can have doors of utterance open to them so that they can tell the mystery of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember why I'm using that word mystery, because the Bible does about 30 times in the New Testament. It's a mystery because you can't learn it from nature and you can't learn it by human reason. It is by pure revelation. And so if it's by revelation, the only way people are going to know about it is if, what does the Bible say? How can they hear unless there's a preacher? And how can there be a preacher unless they be sent? Remember Romans chapter 10 tells us that. And so when God sends the men, and we want to pray that God will open the doors of opportunity for them to preach, to speak the mystery of Christ. And oh, Paul got, Paul had those opportunities. How about men taking him by the arm and leading him through the city streets of Athens to Areopagus, Mars Hill, all the philosophers of ancient Greece sitting there in a circle wanting to hear some new thing from you. He gave him a new thing. He gave them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that that Jesus Christ was coming back to judge them. And he walked out of that room, but who walked out with him? Dionysius the Areopagite, right. a man who had dedicated his life to Greek philosophy and lived on the Areopagus. Pray for your pastor. Pray for every minister that, that's on this planet, that God will expand his kingdom by giving them doors of opportunity to preach the gospel. Amen. Paul said, for which I am also in bonds. But you know what he says in another place? The word of God is not bound. Amen. He says, I may be locked down right now, but the word of God is not locked down. And pray for me. I'm in a little predicament right now. I can't travel as freely as I used to, but keep praying for me and for Timothy that we can have doors of opportunity to preach. And then how a minister wants to preach. And it's in verse 4. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Every minister wants to be able to make the word of God as plain and as simple as possible. The object is not complication or sophistication. It's manifestation. Right. A manifest. A ship has a manifest. A ship pulls into port and a customs officer walks up. The ship is a thousand feet long. I saw a number of them in the Savannah River. A thousand feet long. There's 420 railroad boxcars sitting on it, full of stuff. Here's one little guy, 55, pot-bellied, vision going, not too bright, custom official. How does he know everything in the ship? Because they hand him a manifest. The manifest declares every single item in that ship. And do you know what it means to preach the gospel manifestly? It means to make it very clear in all of its detail, to bring it forth and make it obvious. What's hidden? To show it. Right. What you can't see at first pass? To reveal it which is just what a manifest does. I hope the little illustration helped a little. That's a word. Did you use manifest this last week in a sentence? Nope. Or did I help you by giving you that little definition? Amen. That verse four, verse 4, that I may make it manifest 
as I ought to speak. Now, if Paul was saying that's how he ought to preach, guess how I'd better preach? The same way, to make it as plain as possible. Right. And I do try to do that, but I want you to pray for me to do it better. And I want you to pray for all of God's ministers to do it better. Let no man ever walk away from a minister of Christ saying, what did he say this morning, wife? Let it be plain. Right. Let it be obvious. Let it be clear. Let, let the people grasp it. I see that. The highest compliment I can ever be paid is, I understood that clearly. You made that so clear. Oh, just saying to myself sounds good. Because that's the, that's the whole object. I don't care what people think of me as a preacher or anything like that, except in that matter that I make the gospel clear, Amen. that I make it plain, that the, Bible is, that the Bible truth, the mystery of Christ, which cannot be revealed except by this poor, infirmed vessel can get out and lay it on the table for you to see clearly and to pick it up and hold it at the light as I explain it to you and say, that is beautiful. Pray for God's ministers that they can accomplish that. God's able to do it. Do you know one of the most eloquent speakers in the Old Testament was a dumb ass? Now those are God's words for it. Don't get mad at me. Because when you come to 2 Peter chapter 2 where God describes Balaam's mode of transportation, he calls it a dumb ass. Now a dumb ass is an ass that can't talk. But that one could, couldn't he? Because God opened the dumb ass's mouth. And that dumb ass turned its head and spoke to its master and asked that master a few plain questions about why you're beating me this way. I've been a good ass for you all your life. Remember the exchange? Yep. If someone else hadn't stolen it, that'd be the name of our website, Balaam's Ass. There's a very good website out there, very good. King James Bible believing, good, good stuff on it. You know what the name of it is? Balaam's Ass. Now that, what are we? What are all preachers? Do you know what the Bible says? They're earthen vessels. They're nothing. We're sinners just like the rest of the congregation. God's just given us a little bit of an aptitude to teach, and he's filled us with a fire to want to use it. But that's all we are. But if God was able to take an ass, he can take your pastor. So pray. So pray that I can make the gospel manifest. Do you know why? For you. For your family, for your wives, for your children. That we can all grow in the knowledge of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come to verse 5. Walk in wisdom. We've got to move. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. We've just covered prayer in verses 2, 3, and 4. We're to continue in prayer. We're to watch in it for our own souls. We're to be thankful while we're praying. And we're to pray for the ministry in those other two verses. First of all, if they get opportunities, then that they, when they have the opportunity, they make it very plain. Now, another thing we need to do to please God is to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. We're going to leave this assembly. We're going to go to gas stations, stores, home, neighbors. On Tuesday, for those of you that have Monday off because of Memorial Day, you'll go to work. You'll be with colleagues, you'll be with customers, you'll be with superiors. You're going to be around other people. You're going to go see family maybe tomorrow. All those that are without the assembly of our church, we want to walk in wisdom toward them. Walking is our conduct. It's how we live. It's how we behave. It's everything that we do that they're able to see. It's where we go. It's what we, it's what we do, like I said. It's all of our activities. Do them in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Come over to Ephesians. 
We could have used the twin epistle of Colossians for each one of these verses, but I want you to see it for this one. Ephesians chapter 5. God wants us to be on our guard so that when we're in public with others, customers, staff, other employees, we conduct ourselves in a certain way. He wants us on our guard. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. Can, can you listen to these words in light of Colossians 4, 5? For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Let's look like children of light by the way we live, the way we drive our car, the way we pay our taxes, buy our groceries, pump our gas, and mow our grass. Everything that we do, let's do it in a way that pleases the Lord Jesus Christ and gives a good example of him to the world. We were once children of darkness, but now we're children of light. Let's walk like it. Let's walk with a changed life. Let's live with a changed life. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. There's three things that ought to govern our lives. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are re that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light, and we are to be lights in the world. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Amen. I know that was a long a number of verses, and we'll, we'll focus in now because of time on verses 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly. Circum, a circle, speckly, making inspection or looking very carefully. All the way around, consider all aspects of what you're doing, how it would be perceived by others, because the Bible says, abstain even from the appearance of evil. So inspect in every direction how your actions will be perceived. See then that ye walk circumspectly, looking at all circumstances, aspects, angles of what you're doing. Not as fools. What does a fool do? He just blows through life. He doesn't look around and stop and consider and slow down and alter his course a little bit. No, if I do that, this will I better go over here. He doesn't do that. He just goes straight forward. But a wise man is looking all the way around before he chooses what to do. Don't be like a fool, but be like a wise man redeeming the time because the days are evil. Buying back time and not wasting it in foolish endeavors. When, to redeem time, you buy something back. You exchange something for it. You take something you have in your life and give it up in order to get more time to behave more wisely. Because if you say to me, I don't have the time to always be circumspect in looking around and considering all the angles, then the answer to that is, you're too busy because we've got to slow down in order to live wisely. Right. Haste makes waste in many ways, especially in wisdom. That's why redeeming the time is stuck in here about walking wisely, because you've got to slow down to live wisely. You've got to be careful, cautious, prudent. Wherefore, he says in verse 17, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
instead of bowling forward, we should stop, set back, take a good look at things. This is a prudent man. Think about it very carefully and find the will of the Lord in the matter. Instead of just doing what feels good or what would be the most convenient or what everyone else is doing, that's not how we're supposed to live. So we've got to exchange enough things to get enough time to be able to know what the will of the Lord is and to proceed according to that will so that anyone watching us sees a life from beginning to end. Everything they do is in a godly manner. We've got to be on our guard so that that happens. That's Colossians 4, 5. We should be growing in wisdom. It should be easier and easier for you to know how you ought to walk. Your pastor tries to take a dark saying every day and teach you wisdom every day that you're not here. If you would give wisdom a few minutes a day to soberly consider and to reflect on what's been written and then to think about how can I do this one better myself, right. you'll grow in wisdom. Amen. I'm giving you what the Lord's convicted me to give you. I can't force you to read it. I can't force you to apply it. But my hands are going to be clean. And if you don't pay attention and read them and apply them, your hands will be guilty. Amen. And every man shall bear his own burden. When Colossians 4, 5 tells us to walk in wisdom toward them that are without, what book of the Bible has the most wisdom for walking? Proverbs. I'm trying to give that book to you one thought at a time as carefully and making it as manifest as I possibly can. Whatever deficiencies are there, spend a few extra minutes for me in prayer that I can make them more manifest, and I will try. But there's wisdom there for us, and we're to get that wisdom. And you say, I don't have time to read the proverb. There are 1,440 minutes in a day. Where are you wasting them all? If you gave the Lord just 1%, it's 14 minutes. I'll tell you what, if you gave a proverb 14 minutes, and I give it a whole lot more than that writing it for you, but if you gave a proverb 14 minutes and read it thoroughly and thought about it and looked up a couple of the references, you would grow in wisdom. Right. And then you'd know how to walk toward them that are without. And we could have a congregation of saints that in their conduct before the world are examples of the Lord Jesus Christ. They look like them. They look like the apostles. So they can't find fault with us. Now, they'll find fault anyway because we're following the Lord, but let them, let them do that. Amen. But let's not let them find fault because we're not following the Lord. But understanding what the will of the Lord is and doing it. Let's be on our guard. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Tuesday, you report back to work. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And then redeeming the time because to walk in wisdom takes more time. So you've got to buy back that time, and any time walked in foolishness is a waste of time, and so you want to buy that back. That's why time is stuck in here with walking in both epistles. Right. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Verse 6, let your speech be always with grace. Here's our third main category that we've got to cover this morning. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. If you're walking in wisdom toward them that are without, truly doing it, you're going to be asked from time to time about the way you walk. You're going to be asked about a reason of the hope that is within you. And when you're asked or when you're accused by those that are without, 
you need to know how to answer every man. Again, where's the wisdom in the Bible about how to talk? Same book, the book of Proverbs. If you'll read the Proverbs and think about them, you'll learn how to answer every man. Because so much of it deals with speech. A fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it in till afterward. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. A word spoken in season, how good is it? As apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Proverbs 25:11. So is a oh, see? So is a wise re a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. There's another one about a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. So many of the words, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Proverbs 15.1 is one of the most precious proverbs there is, one of the most useful tools you can ever have. Someone gets mad at you. How do you treat them? A soft answer turneth away wrath. If you practice that, but grievous words stir up anger. If you give any grievous words back, you're going to build that fire. You're going to throw gasoline on, a, on an existing fire. That is a precious rule. Right. Just that little rule of Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Somebody else wants to fight, you be a pillow. Can't fight with a pillow. They punch themselves out. Then they realize it wasn't worth fighting after all. And it's all over. A soft answer. So much wisdom. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Oh, the commentators are pitiful on this verse. Sometimes they're just pitiful. You know what salt is to a commentator? It's grace. Let your grace be seasoned with grace. I found so much value in that, in reading it. All of them. Let your grace be seasoned with grace. Let's talk about grace a minute. The Bible tells us, let your speech be always with grace. Your speech ought to be covered up with, filled with, and supported by grace. And what do we mean by grace? Grace is God's demerited favor toward us. That grace ought to have changed our heart so that our heart is full of grace, so that we can sing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as 3.16 described. Grace is a merciful, kind, gentle, benevolent way of treating other people. Grace is graciousness flowing from the graciousness of God toward us and his loving kindness. So this grace is not purely social etiquette. This grace is grace that flows from a heart that knows the grace of God. Right. And it's changed that heart from this kind of speech, 3.8. Colossians 3.8. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another. Look at all those things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, and lying. That kind of speech we get rid of. Now our speech is to be based in grace, covered with grace. And we're to always speak with grace, gentleness, benevolence, kindness, courteousness, affection, desire, agreeableness, pleasantness, charming that wins the favor of those that are listening. That's to speak graciously. Different temperaments have more of a struggle with that than other temperaments. If you're quick to speak, you're quick to not be gracious. Because to speak graciously, you've got to slow down. 
God made some people to respond very quickly. And they're useful in certain situations, but they're not useful in all situations. And to speak graciously, that tendency is not helpful. If you could slow down and toss them around in your mouth for a couple of seconds before they come blowing out like a howitzer, you would do a whole lot better in communicating with people. And you know who I, you know who I'm talking to, and you all know that the one talking to you knows what he's talking about. Let you, do you know what this verse does to me? Does it do anything to you? Amen. Let your speech be always with grace. There are people that when you speak to them, you know that you're speaking to a gracious person. Every word of theirs is warm. It puts its arms around you and makes you feel warm, fuzzy, and accepted. Every word they say, you're just, they're, they're smiling. You just feel covered in warmth. A big blanket's been put around you. All the words are so nice, agreeable, kind, benevolent, sincere, honest, loving, gentle. Think of whatever adjectives you want to. When you, when you hear gracious speech, it is so, it's such a wonderful thing. Do you know what the Bible says? That when you hear it, a right answer like that, you want to go kiss the person on their lips. That's what Proverbs teaches. You hear it and it's wonderful. And then you get someone like me when he's not speaking graciously and there's an edge. There's an edge. And you come away, there was an edge. And you know the edge left you bleeding. Sometimes it's a sword that leaves a deep wound. Sometimes it's just rough sandpaper that leaves your skin, a few layers of skin rubbed off. But when you walk away, you didn't feel like you did when you were with the gracious person. Now God gave the gracious person an extra gift but they ought to be our goal anyway. Right. To be gracious in our words, flowing from a heart that's full of grace, from a God that is the most gracious being in the whole universe. Amen. Let the grace of God control our hearts to be as gracious toward each other as he is toward us and will be gracious. Let your speech be always with grace. Solomon wrote, because Solomon as a boy growing up watched a relationship and heard about a relationship, a relationship between his father David and the prince of Israel, Jonathan. And the two of them loved each other as their own soul. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 22:11, for the pureness of his heart and the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Right. Jonathan stood beside his father one day after David had killed Goliath, and David was called in by King Saul to give an account of who he was after having killed Goliath. And young David stood there with that giant head in his left hand and a big sword in his right hand. And King, said, King Saul said, Who art thou, young man? And David said, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Is that modest? What would Muhammad Ali have said? I'm the greatest. Look at this. I'm the greatest. Hey, Mom. Do you hear the words of David? I'm the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Was Bethlehem a great town to be from? <laughs> no. Jonathan watched that conversation. He watched his dad as king answer this guy who right then could have taken a pretty important role in Israel, don't you think? Right. He had just killed Goliath when Saul and all the rest of the army wouldn't go, even go out to meet him. Jonathan watched this 
and Jonathan fell in love with him right there on the spot. The first four verses of 1 Samuel 18. And he took off some of his garments that showed that he was the king's son and the prince of Israel, and he gave them to David, and he made a covenant with David. And the covenant basically ran this way. Because you are such a better man than I am, it is obvious that you're going to be the next king of Israel. And God has chosen you. When you're the king, and my father and my family and my tribe has been deposed, will you covenant with me that I can be your right-hand man? You better be touched. That's the covenant of Jonathan and David. Solomon wrote about it when he said, for the pureness of his heart, and you give me the person that had a purer heart than David. Right. He had a heart that was like God's own heart. For the pureness of his heart and the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. If the king will be the friend of a little shepherd, can the world be our friend by walking in wisdom toward them that are without and speaking always with grace so that we know how to answer every man. Salt. Salt is a preservative. Salt is a corrosive. Ever had a canker sore and ate a potato chip? Ever had a cut and got some salt in it? Do we all know that it's a corrosive and that it burns and that it bites? Do we know that it's a preservative and before they had refrigerators, you had, what'd you do to your pork to keep it? You salted it and it would keep it. Everybody from the north knows that salt's a corrosive, don't we? It corrodes our cars very quickly. It's a preservative and it's a corrosive. It's a preservative because sometimes we need to preserve each other in righteousness. It's a corrosive because sometimes we need to cut and shut the mouths of gainsayers. As Titus chapter 1 would teach us. So we're to have a little pinch of it. A seasoning of salt upon overall <coughs> grace. That little bit of salt. Some, once in a while we're going to have to reprove one, one another and rebuke one another to keep each other in the way of righteousness. Sometimes we're going to meet those that are fools and we need to shut their mouths. A pinch. A pinch. You've read the Psalms. You know that David sometimes was pretty salty, wasn't he? But overall, I just told you about the heart of David. When his nephews wanted to kill David's own enemies, who came to the defense of those enemies? David did. David had a gentle heart. Let's be like David. But more than that, there's a better example. Who stood up and read the scriptures one day in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. And he read Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 which say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. He read Isaiah 61, one through three. He closed the book. He gave it back to the ruler of the synagogue and he sat down. And he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And the Bible tells us by the testimony of Luke to Theophilus the entire crowd that really hated him wondered at the gracious words that came out of his mouth.
that's who we want to be like. Right. We want to be so gentle that when Mary's bawling in the garden because she can't find her Lord, we say Mary to her. We want to, we want to tell the Mary at our feet that she's at the right place, at, at the Lord's feet, that she's at the right place. We want to have the tenderness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could the Lord Jesus Christ be salty? Toward his own disciples and toward his enemies, he could slice them deep, and he did often. But toward his disciples, most of the time, his speech was always with grace. Let's be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the Bible is known as the son of David. Right. Women, a gracious woman retaineth honor. If you really want to be a woman who's always respected, think about what I've just said. I've taught it to you before, but the Bible gives you special incentive to be gracious because the virtuous woman has the law of kindness in her mouth. Amen. Between a man and a woman, the man has more liberty for salt than the woman does because the man's the head of the home and the leader and the one that ought to do the defending and the, and the majority of the rebuking. But yet his speech is to be all the way with grace, seasoned with salt, and women, you be even less salty by having the law of kindness in your tongue and being very gracious in your speech. I hope I've said enough that you've learned enough from these five verses that we can go from this place reminded of these things. We're going to pray more. We're going to pray for the ministry and we know how to do it. We're going to walk in wisdom. We're going to make sure we're using our time well so that we can walk in wisdom. And we're going to be gracious in our speech and only when we have to, we'll be seasoned with a little salt. We'll answer every man right, and they can see what we're doing is right. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word this morning.